So we're talking about in the life of David. Uh, David is now the, the king of Israel. Uh, he was king in Judah for seven years. Now Ishbosheth, uh, Saul's son, has died. They've made David the king over all of Israel. And uh, he's been king for a little while, and he decides that he wants to bring in the Ark of the Covenant. And so I'm, I'm titling this uh, Paraders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> I didn't know if you'd get that or not, but okay. Because, you know, how, how, how old is that movie? Like 30 years old now? So it's, it's old. I remember going to see the original Star Wars movie. It was, I remember that. You remember that? Some of you weren't alive then, of course, uh, but that's a long time ago. Uh, so, First Chronicles 13.1, David conferred with each of his officers and commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it's the will of the Lord, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the ter- territories of Israel, and also to the priests and the Levites who are with them in the towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul, for the whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to the people. So everyone thought it was a good idea. David says, hey, I've got an idea. Let's go get the ark. And some commentators will say what he's saying here is they don't know where it is. That he's, ba- he's basically saying, hey, let's, let's tell everybody we're looking for the ark. I mean, this is like the most important part of Israel's worship. And it's possible that they've lost it. So David's saying, let's go get the ark. And uh, everybody says, that's a good idea. Let's go find it. Uh, The whole assembly agreed to do it. It seemed right to all the people. Seemed right. Uh, Now the ark is so important. If you know about the ark of the covenant, Here's a a picture. You've probably seen it because you saw it in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. So you've seen what the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant was a box that was about two and a half feet wide by about four feet long, by about two and a half feet tall. It was made of acacia wood. Uh, It was covered with gold. On On top of the box, there was a lid, and that lid was made out of solid gold. It was called the mercy seat. And uh, there on top of the mercy seat, there were two angels that were facing each other uh, with their faces facing forward and their wings facing forward. And uh, uh, Exodus 25, 22 says this, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commandments for the Israelites. So God met with first Moses there, there between the angels on the mercy seat, there was a visible manifestation of the presence of God. It was the presence of God was visible and God spoke to Moses from the mercy seat between the angels. So we, we see that as the children of Israel went through the wilderness, there was always with them a physical manifestation of the presence of God. There was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. So above the Ark of the Covenant, there was always this, 
visible manifestation of the presence of God. Then once a year, uh, Aaron, the beginning, he was the, the holy They on the day of atonement. They would go from the holy place into the, through the veil of the temple into the holy of holies. And there he would offer sacrifices for the people. So at first he would offer sacrifice for himself because he was a man and impure. And then he would offer sacrifice on the mercy seat there, there uh, on the, between the angels. He would offer sacrifice for the people for the year. So every year they were supposed to do that. Now, for their most of their history, Israel had ignored most of the law. They didn't keep it. They had, they had pretty much totally ignored the sacrificial system. They never kept the sacrificial system as good as they did in Jesus' day in Herod's temple. But in Herod's temple, they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant because the Ark of the Covenant had been lost during the Babylonian captivity. And we don't, it doesn't say what happened to it. Some say Jeremiah hid it. Some say, it, we don't know. Uh, the Ethiopians believe they have it in Axum, in Ethiopia. And they may have the Ark of the Covenant. They may have reproduction of the Ark of the Covenant. We don't know. So, so they never kept the sacrificial system as well as they kept it in later years, in Jesus' time. But in Jesus' time, they didn't have an Ark of the Covenant to complete the sacrificial system for the, for the high priest to go and make atonement for the people. So, so for the most of the time, they had totally ignored. They didn't keep the Passover like they were supposed to. They, they ignored the law. And, and think of, here's part of the reason why. They didn't know the Word of God. They didn't know the Word of God. They had the first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote the first five books of the Torah. And there was one copy in the temple. And we know, we know that through the rain, uh, we know that like Hezekiah found the, like they lost the one copy, they had one copy and they lost it <laughs> because they didn't value it. Here they have the word of the Lord, the Lord, word of the Lord, the revelation of God to his people. God is, I'm going to reveal myself. You see, if God doesn't reveal himself, there's no way for us to know him. God exists outside of time and eternity. God created the universe. There's no way for us to discover a God that exists outside of time. So God reveals himself. He begins, he tells us his story. He reaches out to Abraham. He's revealing himself. And so God's reaching to man to reveal who he is so that he can eventually redeem us through Christ. So that's the story. So they haven't kept the Passover and they've, they've kind of, they've used the ark. The ark had been so important to them. The ark went before them as they went to the promised land. When they fought the battle of Jericho, the ark went before them in battle and they just saw victory after victory. Uh, when they had the ark, the presence of God, they go into battle. They always won because God, God was fighting on their side until one day they didn't because God told them not to go. And they went anyway, and they took the Ark of the Covenant. They thought it was like a magic box. Like, we can, in other words, as long as we got the box, we're good. What they needed was God, Amen. not the box. Amen. 
And so they missed God, and the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant, and they took it to Ashdod, and they, uh, Ashdod, I think it's right, Ashdod, and they put it in the temple of Dagon. Dagon was the, the fish god of the Philistines. And so they put it in the temple next to Dagon, and the next morning the covenant, and then Dagon had fallen over. He was bowing before the Ark of the Covenant. So, you know, being a good stone god, they, set, they propped him back up. It's, it's never good to have a god that you have to prop up. Right? Think about it. So they, have to, they prop him back up, and the next morning they come in, and Dagon has fallen over again, and this time he's lost his head, his hands, and his feet. So they send him, they, so they send him to the other cities. They send him to, to Gath. They send him to the other Philistine cities. Nobody wants him. They have trouble. They've got, they have hemorrhoids that break out. Everybody starts having hemorrhoids. And so that convinced everybody. <laughs> Doesn't take long having hemorrhoids to decide, we don't want this thing around. And so they put it on a new cart and they send it. They just put it on a cart with some oxen and just send it off and it wanders back to Israel. And it ends up in the house of Abinadab. And Abinadab has it in his house for it's, it's 20 years, it's, there are 20 years before Samuel begins his ministry, and then Samuel does his ministry all through the life of Saul and David, and then Samuel dies, and then David becomes king. So David was king in Hebron for seven years, and so now he's king over all of Israel. So it's a period of time somewhere between 75 and 100 years. The Ark of the Covenant has just been in Benadab's house. Okay, So David assembled all Israel from the Sheol River in Egypt to Lebo, Hamath, to the, bring the ark of God from Kerith, Jerem. David and all of Israel went to Bala of Judah, Kerith, Jerem, it's the same place, to bring up from there the ark of God of the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. That, in other words, they were always careful, they were always reverent of calling Yahweh the name. They were always reverent of the name of the Lord, the, the, they, that's why it's called Yahweh because uh, they, they wouldn't write out the whole name. They always wrote it in a shortened form or they wrote the Lord. They, they would never write Jehovah because they were showing reverence to the name. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart. Now why'd they move it on a new cart? Because that's the way the Philistines had done it. That's the way they'd heard the story of how it had happened. With Uzzah and Ahio, now Uzzah and Ahio are Abinadab's sons, or Abinadab, Abinadab's, their grandsons of Abinadab. And David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs and with harps and with lyres and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. So, so the card is the same method that the Philistines had used. I mean, it seemed like a good idea. Have you ever had a good idea, but it ended up being, not being a God idea? You know, you, you, you thought it was a good idea? And maybe even, as you, you even may have thought it was a God idea, but when you realized, when it all fell apart, 
they realized, oh, that wasn't a God idea. That was just what I thought was a good idea. I believe what happened. I believe that when they, when they began to worship, that, that the manifest presence of God became present on the Ark of the Covenant. That's what happened. <laughs> I believe that's what happened. So as they began to worship, what had been for a long time just a piece of furniture in Abinadab's house then became this, what it was supposed to be, the Ark of the Covenant of God, which had inside it the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that had budded, a stick that was a dead stick that produced living leaves, and, but in, and manna which manna would only last one day and then would rot. But in the ark, it, you know, didn't rot. So, so they began to worship. Something happens so when they came to the threshing floor of Kidon. Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry. He's angry with God. Because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day the place is called Perez Uzzah. Uzzah had good intentions. Good intentions are not enough. Now you think about it. This has been in his house his whole life. It's. It's become to him a common thing. It, I mean, they probably use it as a coffee table, you know? I mean, it's the, fan, it's the nicest piece of furniture they got. It's covered in gold. And so it's, it's just, hey, look, y'all, we've got the Ark of the Covenant. Hey, hey, Billy, come look and see. We've got the Ark of the Covenant. It's just a common thing. They don't. It has lost its awe and reverence. You see, this family's been blessed because they've had it in their household, but you got to think about these generations of these generations of kids that have grown up with this in the house, they don't realize what a blessing it is. They don't realize what God has done in their family because of it. because all they've ever known, all they've ever known is the blessing of the Lord. Parents, we have to be careful that the things of God, this glorious salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, that it doesn't become an insignificant to us. Amen. That it doesn't become something that, that we don't treasure and value. That we treat it as common. Serving God, serving God to be of value has to be at the very center of our lives. Amen. Not just a, you know, not just a fixture in the corner. It can't be, serving God can't even be a kind of important thing. Because if serving God is a kind of important thing, if we're not careful, we inoculate our children to the truth of the gospel. That's right. We have to always be remembering how glorious this salvation is. What a great gift. I think of my family. You've heard the story. My great-great-grandfather 
was killed by his wife of 27 years old. She was 27 years old, and he was 67. So he was a player. (laughs) And she said, uh, he told her he didn't love her anymore. He's 67. She's 27. They've been married 10 years. Uh, They got married when she was 17. And uh, she was almost the same age as my grandfather. My my grandfather. And uh, and so he said he didn't love her anymore. And while he was uh, either drunk or asleep, or probably both, uh, she, she, uh, she hit him with an axe in the head. You know, I'm not going to ask you again. Uh, he died. He died, and she went to the, mental, went to the insane asylum. It's probably a good place. Uh, but my... So then my grandfather was raised by orphanages, sometimes at Buckner Children's Home, sometimes by his family. His mother had died and birth to him, and the grandfather, had gone, his father had gone off the rails, ended up being uh, dying when he was 17 or so. And uh, so the, the great thing that happened to my family is that my dad got saved. Amen. My dad got saved. And change the course of a bunch of stumble bums, drunks, and change this into a heritage of the Lord. The Lord just reached down and saved my dad. Then, then the whole fa- so that that changed the course of the whole family. Uh, my whole family, my whole dad's side of that family got saved. I think about Tina who was a 16, about 16-year-old girl. She didn't go up in church. Her family were raced horses and drank. <clears throat> and uh, partied. They didn't, they weren't bad people. They just didn't love Jesus. Tina's dad had known the truth, but he had, he had ignored that. I got, to, I got to pray with her dad before he died, lead him to the Lord. But the great thing that happened was that through an aunt and a counselor, the Lord reached into that family and saved Tina out of that family. We can never forget what the Lord's brought us from. The great grace of the Lord. We need to, we need to, we need to relay to our children the price that was paid and how glorious it is to be saved. Amen. Amen. We don't... We, we, we've got to make it where it's the center of our life, not something we just add on. It's, it has to be important. It's got to be, a, it's got to be a valuable thing to us. Serving God needs to be something we're not too busy or too tired that we're just doing in our spare time. Because if you're, you know, guess what? You're too busy and you're too tired just about every week. And I, I'm going to just throw this out there because I love you. I love you. And I'm not saying this to be mean. But you need to determine. I want to tell you that sports is important, but sports is not that important. Amen. It's, I mean, it's good. Play, play soccer. Play basketball. Play baseball. Play football. 
But those 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old games, they don't matter. In the scheme of things. So just, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying that it's not evil. It's not bad. It's bad if you put it before your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you teach your kids that everything else we're willing to put before our relationship with Christ. So all you do is inoculate them to the truth. You give them just enough truth and just enough religion that one day they'll say, I don't want that. I don't want you know, you know what kids want? They just want some vital, real, exciting that we have taken. The most incredible thing, the God of the universe, the God of the universe has invited you to be in his family. Amen. We take something that is so incredible and so valuable and we turn it into a boring thing. God help us. It's life. It's joy. It's peace. It's hope. David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? So we see a little bit of his motivation. His motivation's a little off. It's often hard to measure the motivation of somebody's heart. We even deceive ourselves. Did you know the Bible says the heart is deceitful? No man can know it. I mean, we deceive ourselves. So it's hard to even know your own motivations, much, much less somebody else's motivation. Here's one thing I want to tell you. When you're in an argument, never say to somebody, I know what you're thinking. You don't. <laughs> you ever do that yet? Well, I know what you're thinking. Really? Because I hadn't figured it out yet. Kind of lay it out for me and help me. <laughs> I was thinking I'm losing this argument. I don't know how to, <laughs> I don't know what to say next. Uh, in other words, it's almost like David saying, God, we've, I got this good thing going here. I wish you would come and bless it. Lord, I want to invite you to what's going on. I want to bring the ark. We're going to get this all going. We we got it all in Jerusalem here. I've made this tent. I've got this tabernacle. God, I just invite you into what I'm doing. And that's good, but it's wrong. Because what God wants to do is bring you into what he's doing. You see, God was building a house for David. David wasn't building a house for God. (laughs) David wanted to build a house. God was going to build through David an eternal house. See, God said, you know what? You you know, I like what you're doing, David. It's small potatoes. We're doing bigger than that. So a lot of times we're asking God into what we're doing and saying, instead of saying, God, what are you doing? That's what I want to be a part of. God, I want to align myself with you. I don't want to say, oh, God, hey, I've made up my mind what I'm going to do. Would you come and bless it? And the answer to that, I don't know if you know this, but the answer to that is no. I don't know if if you've made any of those. I've made, and I'm dumb. I've made that mistake several times. Right? Right? You see, we want to ask God not to bless what we're doing, but we want to get in on what God's doing. We want to align ourselves with God. We want to be careful to align ourselves with God. Listen to this, Joshua 5, 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand, which always gets your attention. Joshua went up to him 
and ask. My, I would have just wanted to see if I could outrun him. Uh, Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. He said, I'm not on anybody's side. I'm the commander of the Lord. You need to get on my side. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And this was the message. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So what's the message? The message for you, buddy, is you need to humble yourself right now. Now, this was not an angel because angels did not receive worship. This was Jesus. This is, so, so Jesus says to Joshua, Joshua says, whose side are you on? He said, I'm not on anybody's side. But hey, buddy, you need to get on my side because I'm the commanding the Lord's army. The people are going to win this battle right here with me. They're not with you. That ragtag bunch, you guys are not going to be able to beat anybody. See, are you on the Lord's side? You see, we need to align ourselves with what God is doing. How do you align yourself with what God is doing? First, you align yourself with Jesus Christ. You align yourself with, you ask Jesus into your life. You, you, you let Jesus become the Lord of your life. You align yourself with what God is doing. What's God doing in the world? He sent Jesus to save us. So we align ourselves with what God is doing, and then we align ourselves with God's Word. So we say, what does God's Word say? He did not, verse 13, 13, he did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David, and the Lord to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Now, I think it's funny that David is afraid to take it with him, so he sends it to Obed-Edom's house. He said, hey, buddy, uh, I, got a, I got something I need you to take for me. Uh, here, you take it. He's afraid because he has, he has not regarded the holiness of God, and it's been costly. You cannot disregard the holiness of God thinking that the love of God somehow cancels out his other attributes. God is not one-dimensional. God is both holy and loving. He's righteous, and he's just, and it's all perfectly fits together. And we know that God is loving. The reason we understand that God is loving is because we were in a mess and we needed redemption. And so to save us from him, because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wrath of God is due us. To be saved from the wrath of God through him. To be saved from the wrath of God. The only way to be saved from the wrath of God was through the sacrifice of his own son. We know he loves us because he gave his own son to save us from our sins. That saves us from the wrath of God. So God is loving, but he's also holy. And he will not lay aside his holiness to be loving. So... So now they decide they're going to bring up the ark the right way. 1 Corinthians 15, 11. 
Then David summoned Zadok and Abathar the priest, and Uriel and Ashiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Aliyah, Aminadab, the Levites. And he said to them, you are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord up the fertile to the place I have prepared for it. It is because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him how to do it in the prescribed way. So David says, hey guys, just want to throw this out there. This is your fault. (laughs) You're the Levites. Your job was to say, hey, we're not putting that on a cart. The Ark of the Covenant's not supposed to go on a cart. The Word of God says that it's got poles that go through these rings and it's supposed to be carried by the Levitical priests that have been consecrated before they carry it. So we're going to do it according to Scripture, but they didn't. The Levites didn't do their job. No one said, hey, this is what the Word of God says. You see, one of the jobs of the priest is to say, this is what God's Word says. Every now and then, i got to say things you don't like. If, if your God always says things that you agree with, you got a little God. Your God is going to tell you some things that go contrary to what you're doing, what, how you're living. You're, you're not aligned perfectly with the righteousness of God in Christ. So sometimes the priest needs to stand on the authority of the word of God and says, hey, folks, stop doing this. You need to align yourself with the Word of God. This is what the Word of God says. You need to stop sleeping around. Not my idea. I don't want to say that. I wouldn't say that. That's offensive. It hurts people's feelings. It's just the truth. God says don't do it. Why? He's got lots of reasons. What if we don't know all the reasons? Do I have to know all the reasons? than you do. It's because God said, I love you and I know better than you do. I know more than you do. So you think of all of those things. We did not bring it up the first time that the Lord, our, we did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. So they brought it back the way it was supposed to. Here's what it says. There's a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. So Have you been asking God to bless your disobedience? There's an answer to that. He won't do it. He won't bless your disobedience. He won't bless your disobedience in your marriage, in your finances. He won't do it. He'll even let you suffer the results of your disobedience. He'll let you reap what you have sown. Anybody here ever done anything really stupid? And you know what? You can pray about it. It won't go away. (laughs) There's some things you can pray about and they'll go away. 
But some things that when you realize they were, that you were disobedient, God's, you know what God's saying? You're not ever going to make this mistake again. Watch this. You're going to learn it this time, you stubborn mule. It's the third, fourth, tenth time. This time, I hope you learn it. So what do you need to surrender that you're doing your way to God's way? What do you need to say, God, I want to I align myself with what God's doing. I don't want to ask God to bless what I'm doing unless what I'm doing aligns with what God is doing. I want to align my life, and I do that first by aligning my life with Jesus. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life, take control of my life. I surrender my will, just, just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he begins to get a sense of what he's going to face on the cross. He's had it for a long time. But there in the garden, he can feel the stench of sin surrounding him. This is God of very God, righteousness of righteousness. He knew no sin. But in the garden, he could feel the weight of sin begin to gather around him. Everything, every vile thing, every perverse thing, every murderous thing, every cruel thing, Every child that had been abused and every, every pedophile, all, all of the filth of every sin began to build up on him because he's going to carry it all. He's going to carry every sin of every man and he's going to bear every death. He's going to taste death for every man. And in the garden, he begins to taste and feel the pressure of the sin that he's going to carry for you and I. And he says, Lord, is there a way? Is there a way for me not to do this? God of God, perfection of perfection, holiness of holiness says, is there a way for me not to carry this sin? But he knows. He knows he came to die. He knows he, he knows he came for the cross. He, he knows he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He knows, and he knows he says, Lord, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that is our ongoing prayer of a believer. That is our ongoing prayer. We say, Lord, what I want is not yours be way, but your way. Nevertheless, not in my will, but yours be done. So where is it that you might need to align and say, Lord, there's some things that I need to stop doing. And there's some things that I need to start doing. I want to align myself with your word and your way in Jesus' name. Let's stand and pray. Logan said I go eight minutes over, so I'm trying to trying to keep it in line. So Father, we want to align ourselves with you. We've had a lot of good ideas. They weren't God ideas. We've done a lot of, done a lot of things our way and it wasn't your way. Lord, we repent of that. And we ask you, Lord, we want, to, we want to lay aside the things that we need to lay aside. The things that don't align with you. The things that, that are good but not God. 
We want to lay that aside. Lord, we want, to, we want to align ourselves. We want to say, Lord, is this your will? Is this your way? We want to walk in it. Is this what you want us to do? Is this aligned with your word? Is this what you've said? Is this the way you've said to do it, even though I don't understand it or agree with it? Lord, I want to do it your way. Lord, we ask you to give us the strength and help to do it. Help us to align ourselves with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.